Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Your regular guide sharing tools and expertise to build a life full of positivity and possibility. Here's your host, Russell Thackeray. So today I'm really excited to be talking to Matt Kazam. We've had a quick chat before this um, podcast and he sounds really interesting, really fascinating. I'm sure he's going to be... um, well, entertaining but really educational as well with lots of really great ideas and tips and techniques to build resilience but also with a fascinating life story to tell. So, hi Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Russell. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm detecting again from your accent that you're not from the UK, which is great. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, it's funny, I've been, uh, I grew up in New York City, left when I was 18, I'm almost 50 now. Um, but when my tongue is cursed, I'm going to sound this way forever. Even my inner monologue sounds this way. So, um, uh, but yeah, from New York City, I live out in Las Vegas now, and uh, just really, really excited to, uh, to 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 talk to your audience. You know, some of my best audiences here, and some of the best people I've met uh, from the UK. So, uh, uh, really, really excited to get up and talk with you this morning. Smashing. So, how would you describe yourself? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a comedian. I mean, uh, since I'm three years old, this is, uh, you know, in my roots, you know, I think the samurai, even though he wasn't out samurai all the time, always looked at himself as a samurai. I, you know, I was born to do this. Three years old, uh, at 10 years old, my parents take me to Las Vegas. I see my first comedy show here, Joan Rivers and Shecky Green at the Riviera. Knew I wanted to have a show in Las Vegas. 35 years later, I get a show in the same room that I saw the, the show when I was 10. Um, and then two years later, they blow up the casino, but that's a part of the story you got to block out. Otherwise, beautiful tale about a boy in his dream. But, you know, even though now I've shifted my business and really, really excited about uh, your resilience program because, you know, that this is the story of my life. You know, I get a hit show in Las Vegas and they blow up the casino. I mean, this is just one example of how I have had to pivot and I love your teachings because, you know, life's always going to throw you a curveball, you know, and we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we deal with that. So now I've shifted my business to the corporate market, but I still say I'm a comedian. However, you know, that in America, I don't know what it's like. That's the other thing, too, about the UK is that it's really revered. I mean, the, the job of a comedian or anyone in the spoken word kind of performing space, you know, it's a respected and celebrated, you know, profession. In America, it's losing that. It's becoming, you know, Bill Cosby's got problems. Louis C.K.'s got problems, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I do see myself as a comedian, but now I'm kind of trying to distance myself from 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 that world, and uh, just because it is a little scary sometimes to uh, to the corporate world when you say, "Oh, we booked a comedian," instead of "We booked an edutainer." That's what I call myself now, an edutainer. Yes, yes, that's interesting way of putting it. So, so take us back to the beginning. It's really interesting that you go hear someone and you know immediately that's what you want to do. So, did that then drive how? Your education went, you know, did you, how did that affect your sort of formative years as a, as a kid? And we became, you know, I, my father, you know, like as I mentioned when we were chatting before, uh, you know, I'm a child of an immigrant. And, and anytime, you, you know, your, your parents are immigrants, which I'm sure you'll have a lot of listeners. I mean, your career path is started in the womb literally started in the womb where they're starting to decide, you know, what your future is going to be and how they can enhance that and, and nurture that. And uh, both my brothers are lawyers, my sister's a, a physician, and uh, I do this. But when you have parents who are immigrants, they want a job that's been around for a while and will be around for a while. And comedy, not necessarily show business, but comedy kind of fell into that. So my father uh, uh, just started, you know, 
taking me to comedy shows. We started studying, even at a young age, I mean, studying the, the silent comedians and, you know, Mel Brooks and Carl Ryan, the 2,000-year-old man records. You know, even I, even at the age of five, I remember, you know, sitting, everyone else, else is out playing baseball and I'm home, you know, studying comedians. And, and the one promise he, I made to him was I would get a degree. And um, he was a finance professor. And as a kid, I used to go watch him teach at NYU uh, finance, and it was always so cool to me that he was able to teach the thing that he knows. You know, like it's so cool that he's, you know, master of, of finance, and all these young minds are coming to him. And so I didn't look at the teacher. The teachers like, oh, school is you know a bad thing. I, I kind of gave me the, the thirst for knowledge and, and education, and then later on, a, a thirst and a passion to be able to teach what I know. Once I mastered this. Why not teach it to other people? And and the timing is so right now because uh, even, you know, I was in this space about seven, eight years ago, and uh, the idea that humor was a commodity in business, even then, was, was not even totally accepted. Uh, it is now. Um, you know, I say, you know, even in the case of a tie, the funnier person is going to win. I mean, people are realizing that not just to get ahead do you need a new set of skills, but just to stay even, you know. So... Uh, my father flew me all over the world. You know, I've seen the English comedians and, 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 and uh, you know, he was also uh, fond of the casino business. So, uh, you know, I got to fly around to the casinos and um, Don Rickles uh, made me a banana split when I was six. I mean, he knew that this was what I was going to do with my life. And, and just I went to college and then as soon as I got out of college, started comedy. and I got a Ph.D. In, in, in comedy after working with some of the best, all the comedians that you know today. Uh, I got to work with them because I started at the right time and, and you know, it, it, the rest was history. But about 15 years into it, I realized I could teach it and that kind of changed the game for me a little bit. So, so whoa there a second. <laughs> let me just back yeah. right up there. So I love the idea that you studied comedy. So let me come back to that in a minute because I believe that if to be a master of any craft, you've got to be, you know, around the craft and not just as sure. a practitioner, but be under the hood of it. But you're saying you've, you've genuinely got a PhD in comedy. Genuinely? No, 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 no. Not an actual uh, paper. I mean, though, uh, but, you know, just from being on the road the first 10 years. And I always tell people that that first 10 years is so important. But just the nature of how the business used to be, where it was a three comedian show, there was an MC, and, and, and very much like comedy is in the UK. Because I always say comedy is, is 20 years behind in the UK, but that's not a bad thing because it's totally, you know, changed. The craft is no longer important in America. You know, Netflix has kind of changed how we consume comedy. Um, so it's not even in the clubs anymore as much as it is on people's couches. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, no, no. So I didn't get a PhD, literal PhD, but... You know, I worked with Jeff Foxworthy and Ray Romano and, uh, uh, you know, even from your Craig Ferguson's and, and, you know, they all were made it. So it was really important to them back then because it was a big fraternity in, in, in this business was to really train the new comedians. So you went out there and you were kind of learning, you know, as you go, but they really nurtured us and, and, and I learned from the best and, and, uh, and, and took from the best, you know, things I could use to teach other people because it would make it relatable. So there's parts of my, my seminars and my teachings and my coaching where I talk about Chris Rock and how Chris Rock and most comedians are painfully, painfully shy, mm -hmm. which is actually important because we can get up. I've gotten up in front of 72,000 people and perform, but yet really, really painfully shy, couldn't 
sing karaoke if you ask me because I would be too shy to get in front of those people and sing karaoke. Um, so it kind of makes it seem like it's a skill that you can turn on and turn off, and it absolutely is. We got we most of us in the old days developed this skill because it was defense mechanism. Yeah. You know, we you know I grew up in New York City. I was a little chubby kid. I had to learn either two options: learn how to fight or learn how to be funny. Yeah. And uh, fighting, you're not good at right away. And I didn't win the genetic lottery, so you know I'd probably figure out that uh, it's better off to kind of be funny. And and then by the age of six, I'm like using it as currency to get ahead in school. Or, you know, to, to get, the, you know, the, the girl in the neighborhood to like me. I mean, or, you know, just to, to get my parents to do stuff for me. It, it really became this thing where I'm like, hey, I'm on to something here. I mean, this is, it, it's a good thing to be the funniest person in the room. So, so that's really interesting. The, the point I picked up the PhD was actually I know a couple of PhD people who, who do study the science and academia of comedy. And um, it's something I studied myself many, many years ago. And um, one of the things I discovered is how good it is for you, how good it is for your well-being, how good it is for your physical and mental well-being. And it's, it, I think people underestimate it, that actually going and being amused and physically laughing is, is so oh, good for you. Absolutely. You know, right on my website, the first page, there's a study, you know, children laugh 400 times a day, adults laugh 3 to 15 times a day. Um, which is amazing, you know, and and and, and humor is is, a, is an emotion or is a, a human trait that we've been given, and it is a defense mechanism. It is a way to diffuse negative situations. It, it's putting us for this very reason, and because of political correctness, I don't know what it's like there in the UK, but here in the States, it, it, because of political correctness, it's almost been taken out of our society, and now we're seeing what happens because, you know, people are more stressed out, but absolutely, I mean, adding humor, even as just a learning tool, People only remember 10 to 20% of what they hear and see. If you wrap that message in humor, it goes up to 50 or 60%. And, uh, you know, and I, many, many people I've worked with and they'll go, they'll come back and they'll go, that was amazing because people still come to me. And that was the point I was trying to make in my presentation. Connecting with humor was amazing. So not only does it have this great effect on you, it has an even more powerful effect on other people. And, uh, you know, and everybody's looking to gain more trust and, and be more genuine and try to be more fascinating and more authentic. And, and humor does all those things, you know, it, 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 it helps, it not only empowers you, but it, it helps you connect with, with other people and, and empower them on the other side, because it's such a rare thing to laugh now. I mean, the statistics show it. Children laugh 400 times a day. Adults laugh three to 15 times a day. If you could be one of those connections where humor is used, you know, it, it's, it's really powerful on both sides. But definitely to relieve, relieve stress and, and, and for innovation and even the joke writing process, how I brainstorm those ideas, um, you know, easily applies to, 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 to a lot of aspects of business. Okay. Um, so that's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, you talked about the way that political correctness has come in. But, I mean, I, I read a study ages ago about people getting better after illness. And there was a really strong scientific um, scientific study showing people who watch comedies and laughed go yeah. better quicker, and that's interesting because what you see in the workplace is that the the nature of comedy has changed. What we laugh at has changed, in fact. So that sort of belly laughter that we had as children, that sort of laughter that we had to get better, is very different from the sort of the laughing at someone that you see in the workplace or as, or you know as you're growing up. That sort of very nasty cutting. Um, yeah, you know, snidey sort of humor. There's a difference between the the belly laugh and the very sort of cutting laughter, isn't there? And I think this is the problem. This yeah. is what political um, love it, hate it. This is what political correct. Connie said, PC stuff's trying to sort out, isn't sure. it? 
Absolutely, and you know, it, it, in my in my teachings, and and you know, I'm self-taught. You know, which which you know, Bruce Lee was self-taught. I mean, you know, there was a there's a lot of uh, uh, you know, and then in developing these programs, I go. The great thing is, I'm teaching the program that I created right from my playbook. So every example I take is, it, it, I know it works because it helped me get through over six thousand shows. Um, but people only laugh for two reasons. They laugh at a commonality and they laugh at a superiority, which is exactly what you're talking about. The superiority is there's a victim in the joke and that victim couldn't be you. And then it's OK. You're, you're, you know, you're OK to do it. But, you know, what we're trying to police out is, you know, the superiority laughter, which 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 can be bigger than than because it the way it came from is that when there was one village and you were sitting in your village, this is why I love comedy, because it goes back to prehistoric caveman times. I mean, everybody had a job and there was some guy who got up in front of the fire every night and made people laugh. I mean, it's an important part of our history. But when they only had commonality stuff, they only made fun of the things that they did. So, you know, isn't it crazy that we, you know, pick apples this way or well, whatever it is. And then what happens is they would invade another village and they would have a party and then they would make fun of how this village did things. Mm -hmm. So I can't believe they pick apples this way. You know, our, our way to pick apples is much more superior. And so those are the jokes. So, you know, even in some of the training, it's, it's now it's really important not just to say something, but to really do the math. And then once you get into the science, which maybe you've heard this from the PhDs, but it really becomes math at some point where each variable is... is, is, is you know, given a percentage of success, but then also you have to break down and think five or six, like a chess player, five or six moves ahead and go, well, how else can this be interpreted? Maybe this thing that's going to get a big laugh initially is going to backfire and get me fired or, you know, uh, uh, you know, get this audience to turn on me. Uh, so, you know, it really is now about weighing in all the factors there and picking the best strategic, you know, joke or, you know, you know, pawn or whatever it is that you want to stick in there. But it isn't just about getting the laugh. It's getting the right kind of laugh and the biggest success rate, but also the, the lowest risk. And I, and I factor all that stuff in when I'm, when I'm teaching and also putting together material for, for myself. So, so, um, I mean, years ago, I used to be a performer as a musician and, um, it's interesting hearing you talk cause I, I'm interested to know how you deal with being on stage and all going wrong. And, um, you know, first of all, how you, you know, summon up the courage to get on stage in the first place and then how you deal yeah. with the setback in the middle of a routine. How does that work? Yeah, well, you know, I broke it out again. The science of this was something my father saw and was something he made sure I saw because it, it makes it less, you know, variable. I mean, you know, you know that you can go up there and it, it, there's things that I know and I do that other comedians take for granted. and. But I, I don't have the luxury of ever being able to bomb, you know. I mean, I never, especially in Vegas, you know, one bad review, you could have a thousand good reviews, but one bad review, you know, people want to believe the bad stuff and they'll discount the good stuff. So I break the process out into three stages. One is what you do before you go on stage, what you do during you go on stage, and then what do you do afterwards to kind of make sure that you reinforce all the things that you did here and learn from it and, and, and get better for the, for the next show. So, you know, that gives me a lot of confidence, you know, I mean, because I've broken it down to the science, I'm not just going up there and going, oh, I hope they like me. I'm going to choose things to make sure that they like me. Um, body language, you know, um, uh, how I, you know, even that perfect opening joke. I created a concept called crowd fusing, where I can take any group, fuse them into one being of energy, split them into three sections, 
pick a spot a third of the way out, uh, and then just keep working that reinforcing with eye contact and uh, cadence and rhythm. And, you know, it almost becomes like Pavlov's doll, where if I inflect my voice at this point, it enhances the joke and increases the, the laugh because some of them are just laughing because I've triggered them. I've trained them to laugh when my voice inflects like this. But a lot of people don't even study cadence and rhythm and timing anymore. They think it's just about the words. And in a lot of ways, show business, it isn't even about, I mean, even in Hollywood, whether something is good or not, isn't even in the top five of important things that they look for. It's can they market it? You know, did did you do have a lot of social media followers? You know, that becomes the thing. Yeah. But I I take comfort and, and confidence in in the fact that I've broken it down. I mean, so, you know, visualization techniques. So for me, it starts when I'm ironing my pants, getting ready for the show. I start to go in my mind's eye and see myself being successful. And, and in the beginning, you know, you you know all the studies. You know, fifty percent of what people learn learn from us comes from our body language. Thirty eight percent comes from the tone of our voice, and seven to eight percent comes from the words we say. So even before you've said something, you've said something. So if you could get them on your side even before you speak, that is a powerful, powerful tool. So you know that that part of it. First of all, it's what I love to do. So I had to get over my fear of shyness. And the idea that, oh, my God, you know, I, I don't know if I can get up on stage. When I was in college, I took public speaking for small groups because at the end you had to give a speech for 30 people. And public speaking for big groups, you had to give for over 100 people. And I was like, who the heck could ever speak in front of 100 people? Yeah. You know, and I remember it. So I took the small groups one and was still terrified to speak in front of 30 people. Yeah. But realized that that was just because I hadn't didn't know how to do it. So I'm going to have to figure out exactly how to do this. And, and did and 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 uh, uh, you know really broke it out into into the real subtle nuances of this, but uh, that's why I don't worry about it, you know. And then also really looking at it, each performance not necessarily as 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 a victory, but you know as just one show out of six thousand shows. And what can I learn? What can I build on? And if you put the work in, eventually, I mean, it's a paper tooth tiger. I mean, you should never have to be afraid of getting up and speaking in front of people because it is it is absolutely a skill that you can develop and 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 turn on and off and and use not when you're on stage. At the end of my seminars, I talk about how I've gotten out of over a dozen uh, speeding tickets uh, from the police because that is just a public speaking situation. I mean, I'm able to, the, the, the skills I developed are so strong that they work in real life and even worked a dozen times on a police officer when I was in the wrong because you have to connect with him as a human being. You have to connect with your audience as a human being. And, you know, the officer may not let you out of the ticket, but Jim will. And you have to somehow connect with Jim. So I go through the whole process about how to take this negative situation, turn it into a positive. That's the other thing is I've been on stage. The lights have gone out before. The power's gone out before. The microphone has gone out before. Um, you know, there was drunks. You know, there was a million things that, that have gone wrong. And I figured out how to handle each one. And uh, and teach other people how to do that, too. So, you know, yes, you should be a little concerned that anything could go wrong. It's called quicksand where one thing goes wrong and then you go back and try to fix that. And then something goes wrong fixing that. And next thing you know, you're sunk. But if you can avoid quicksand and really treat the things one on one as they come up during the show, nothing, nothing can happen that, that I can't get through. And, and literally, I talk about every single one of those experiences, uh, you know, when, when I'm with people. So. 
so let me just unpick some of that, and if I may. So, so you yeah. say. So, so you talked about visualizing before you went on. That's great, and uh, yeah. that, that's a very good technique. And I and I know for myself that really works well. So you're saying that though that it's possible to predict what might go wrong. So you plan and you rehearse and you get ready for it. But then something does go wrong. Um, yeah. And then you saw, you talked about how you manage your attitude to that. So so can you give me an example of how that would work? Sure. I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, and this and, and back up a little bit, you know, in the teachings, one thing you have to understand is you control their minds when you're in front of them. So just for example, if it's a little bit hot in the room and you mention that to them, it's all of a sudden going to be 15 degrees hotter in the room because you were in their in their minds. If the sound's a little bad, then if you say, hey, the sound's a little bad, they're going to perceive the sound as being much worse. So, you know, understanding, first of all, that you are controlling the moments, the moments that are controlling you. And if you've done everything, you know, to, to, to go right, uh, then, then, you know, you set this great foundation uh, so that if something does go wrong, first of all, I, I teach people that it's going to, things are going to go wrong, you know, and then that, that you should be prepared for them and, uh, uh, and, and not, not freak out the first time it happens because the audience doesn't expect you to be perfect. You know, even in my best show, I've made 10 to 20 mistakes. I mean, stumble on a word or even in this podcast, I probably made six to 10 mistakes, but it's so much easier to move on. So, you know, even teaching them when things come up, that it's much easier to move forward unless it's a factual break in continuity where you were supposed to say 8% and you said 80% then it's worth going back and fixing. But even the idea that it's much bad, much easier to move forward and, and you don't have to draw attention to something unless you have to. So we start off there, but then things happen like the sound goes out or I was in Florida one time and the lights went out and the club owner had sent me up a note saying, you better finish your show if you don't finish it, I'm not going to pay you. So, you know, go stand underneath the exit light. The emergency exit light was on a different generator and do your show from there. Right. So, you know, things that happened before, but, but, but now I know I can't just go do my show. So, you know, what happens is too, when you're controlling the moments, time slows down. Like it's not happening. And you've been on stage, so you understand this a little bit is it's not happening in real time. You know, it's happening in, in your manufactured idea of what time is. So you can think a lot quicker. So now already I'm planning my attack and I'm accepting my new reality that now I'm going to have to go on. I'm going to have to do the rest of the show without this. So, you know, and, and, and the better you get at this and, and a lot of the teachings that, 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 that I, that I base on my foundation is that, uh, you know, you, you, you can control these moments and this is just a different challenge, but it's not going to sink you, you know, you can, you can find a new way. Now you are going to have to tell these jokes maybe differently and you're going to have to, uh, you know, find a way to really draw them in and then embrace the situation. So I, you know, a lot of times I go, you know, if you get heckled or asked a difficult question, um, you know, it may, you may not do the best job with it this time, but remember, you're going to be speaking so many times, performing so many times that you, uh, that, that it's worth taking the chance here. And then because you're going to develop something that's going to work now, every time it comes up. So, you know, don't look at this one performance and go, oh, you know, I didn't do the best job. You go back and go, okay, this is what I should have said and, and this is how I should have presented it. And, you know, so it, 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 is, it is dynamic, um, uh, but, you know, things, things definitely will happen, but focusing on those because they may not happen. You know, sometimes you get up there and the audience rolls all few and it's great. And, and we want to plan for that situation as well because that's going to happen way more than the other. And I would say, if you start off in a negative place, only negative things can happen. So let's start off in a positive place, so only positive things can happen. So I prepare for the worst, but uh, you know I uh, certainly am expecting the best, and and uh, you know until that happens, you know I'm staying within my my original plan. 
So, so when you know how to deal with that light, because this is all part of resilience, isn't it? I mean, what you said was you have to accept the new reality, don't you? So there's there's yeah. part of it about you sort of get over yourself and get on with it, really, and say, well, I can I can spend a lot of time moaning about the fact that the the, the light's gone out, or I can just carry on under the other light. So it's about being very. Yeah. I suppose making the best of it almost is that is that what, is that what you'd say or seeing it as a different I, 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 opportunity it, or something? Well, I mean, again, it, like I said, new reality. You definitely accept uh, that that this is what you're going to have to do for the next. This is what you're going to have to do for the next forty five minutes. But also how you can use that. You know, I mean, you know, if you if, if the lights went out and, and we're all sitting here in the dark, you know, I mean, there's ways to kind of be self deprecating. You know, all my other comedian friends, you know, some of them are on HBO tonight, some of them are on Showtime, some of them are on Comedy Central, and I'm performing underneath an exit lamp in Lakeland, Florida. Um, so that the owner can't uh, doesn't want to lose you people, so that you stay here when the lights come back on and you keep drinking, you know. Um, so you know, even making fun of this situation, uh, but not you know, even being conscious of it's okay because it's like the elephant in the room. If you didn't talk about it, uh, you know, people would be like, well, maybe he always performs on the exit lights, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, but you don't want to do it so much that, 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 you know, you can do the show over there. You are so prepared. I would say I can do my show even if nobody was in the room, you know. I mean, and that's where you want to strive for. You really want to be as prepared as possible uh, so that, you know, you, know, you, you don't want to exclusively perform underneath exit lights, but... It's gonna happen, and and the second it happens, like I said, the, there's a couple of mantras that that, that I follow and, and 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 philosophies I follow, and one is I can't control what happens, I but I can control how I react to that, and that's you know that that's huge. I mean because it's gonna have that's resilience. I mean you know yeah. I, I I pivot more than a basketball center. You know I mean uh, I'm constantly having to pivot because. Uh, otherwise, you know, if, you, if you're not adaptive and fluid, you know, whether you're performing or, or just trying to live and succeed, you know, it, it's going to be a problem. And, and it's interesting, that, isn't it? Because the more you realize that, the more you take a risk, and then the more you learn from getting it wrong, in which case you take more risk and then learn from getting it wrong, take more risk, risk and then, therefore you are resilient. And that's the point, isn't it? The way to, and it's the same with what you're saying in your craft, you, you don't get better by never doing it, you only get better by doing it. And sometimes you know, learning from the mistakes as well as the times it goes well. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And in the beginning, that's why I took every show possible. I've done three prisons, three actual prisons. Um, two of them were, were men's prisons, and they uh, that that that's, you know, not, not a big deal. One was a, a female prison in Baltimore, and, uh, you know, very challenging show, but... Um, and then not much I can learn specifically because I'm not going to be working, you know, female penitentiaries uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, but, uh, you know, I look back on it and go, what got me through that? And it was very early on in my career. And, and But, you know, you, you, you do all these things in the beginning and you take every show possible. And now that I'm looking back on it, that's why I've learned so much over 6,000 shows because they weren't all just in a comedy club, you know, some were, you know, in different times of day, you know, it's, it's much tougher and a different approach um, to making people laugh at 9am, you know, it, it turns out I'm a good energy starter for these big conferences and uh, so, I, you know, and I'm one of the few comedians that says it doesn't matter, I mean, you know, I mean, I change my approach and, and, I, and I choose, you know, some different tactics to, to get them to laugh but before you know it by 9 10 they might as well be in a comedy show you know i i transform wherever i am into the place i want 
it to be. So even if I'm, I've done shows and billionaires have hired me to perform in their living room, you know, for Christmas parties or holiday parties. So, I mean, I performed in so many different situations uh, because I wanted to build those skill sets. And then, you know, when people and I teach now, it's, it, I'm literally, if I only performed in comedy clubs and theaters and casinos, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as big a deal from from a background of, of, of a learning skill set. But since I've done so many, literally so many different shows, daytime, nighttime, you know, uh, non-traditional venues, prisons, uh, I, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot and it, it is such a blessing to be able to share because a lot of these places are the normal speaking situations for business professionals or, you know, just regular people, you know, at a, at a birthday party or something like that. So, you know, how to turn the living room into a showroom is is, is, is something that uh, not a lot of people understand. Uh, but as you get into it, you realize how important it is. And, and it's really interesting, actually, because what you were saying earlier is you talked about charisma and, you know, um, you know, getting the girl when you're younger, using humor and being self-deprecating, such like. And, and so, you know, you're sort of building a charismatic approach here which is really good for resilience because actually being having the confidence to know that whoever you're going to meet you can actually have a good relationship with is, is good news isn't it so you seem you seem to be implying that you can learn to be funny absolutely and absolutely you know a lot of people say you know they're like uh uh you can't teach people how to be funny i'm like no you can't teach people how to learn to be funny but I had to teach myself, you know, I mean, uh, the funniest people I know don't do this for a living, you know, uh, it really isn't. And a lot of my teachings come from the three rings, what I call the three rings of stand up comedy. And one of those rings is a public speaking ring, the performing ring, and then the joke writing ring. And then based on the situation, you know, you kind of blend the skills of all three of those. And, and that that's, you know, what each situation, you know, sometimes you rely more on the public speaking ring or you rely more on the performing ring. Um, or if you're just writing a blog or something, you may only rely on the joke writing ring, but they're all equally important. So I break out each each single one. Um, but uh, they, it is something that you can absolutely turn on and turn off. If, if I want to be the funniest person in the room, I can. If I want to sit there and do nothing, I, I can too. I mean, um, it, it, knowing that a lot of my comedian friends are so painfully shy that they they actually have to have a, a switch to be able to flip. And and, and, I, and I do encourage people to have that. So before I go up on stage, I just let out this big woo! But it's just to let me know that now Matt is not going on the stage. You know, this is an enhanced version of me. Um, and you know, I'm not always that guy. Sometimes I'm just myself, but every single time I speak in front of people or if I want to take over a room or if I'm pitching somebody, I'm getting ready to go to a meeting, I do flip that switch. And then it just becomes literally skills, hundreds of different skills that, that I've learned over the years, uh, that I just fall back on. And, and, and it, it, it works every single time because it's been so much science, uh, to back it up. I'm not just guessing at this. I know that this will work. I, I can read my audience in a way that other people can't. I kind of feel like Jane Goodall and, uh, you know, her gorillas. I've studied human behavior because that's how I was going to get my show in Las Vegas. Even so, you know, most comedians just go there, I'm going to do my act, and if, if it gets laughs, it gets laughs, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. That doesn't work well in casinos. That certainly doesn't work well in Las Vegas. So, and so it took me many, many years to come up with the show I did here, which was called 40 is Not the New 20. Uh, but, uh, you know, all of it comes from the fact that I, I, I knew 
and and even Vegas, you have people from the UK and people from Asia and you know people from the states and and you know somebody who's ninety years old and somebody who's twenty three years old and and there you really have to understand okay now what is going to make all these people laugh I mean not that not to the point that it's hacky but you have to make choices and you can train yourself to make better choices just like that's exactly i'm sure what your business is it's just teaching people whether it's nutrition whether it's you know uh, how you deal with stress or sleep or whatever you're going to have to make better choices and, and how can we train you to do that so if i wanted to learn if there was something simple i could learn to be able yeah. to become slightly more amusing and therefore increase my charisma what simple yeah. th- what simple thing can i have a go at uh, you know, it's it's always uh, I tell people a, a, an ounce of truth is worth more than a pound of lie. The funny is already inside of you. It's the experiences, you know, those embarrassing stories, the the things that we have in common. And I think you know, just understanding why people left. They left at a superiority, they left at a commonality. So you want to find common ground here, whether it's you know things that we all have to deal with, or you know, if it's a if you're speaking in front of a group of insurance people, you know, maybe there's something that we all have in common there that we can we can mine mine for material. So just being aware of 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 of, of that, you know, instead of just going, I want to make a joke. Most people think that humor is about you in your sense of humor and and it, it isn't. It's about them in their sense of humor and what is gonna what is gonna work in this situation. I mean Comedians have the most horrible sense of humor. Trust me, the things that make us laugh, you could never say in reg- in front of regular people. Sure. But so 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 also so just changing your perspective on on really when people go, I'm not funny. I'm not. That's okay. It's because we're going to be making a choice. I'm going to be telling you how to make them laugh, not what's going to make you laugh. Um, but then there is a formula to funny. You know, it's a simple way, and, and it works even beyond just making people laugh. But so the, you, you, there's a setup. You know, and that's, you know, so I have a joke, you know, where I go, uh, have you seen the toys kids get to play with now? They got really good toys now. That's the setup. Yeah. Describe the situation. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the virtual reality, DVD, CD-ROM, computer games, you know, and all they ever do is say they're bored. That's to describe the situation. Yeah. Punchline. They don't know what bored is. You know, I spend, unless you spend all day in your room with an Etch-a-Sketch, that's bored. You know, because I'm comparing, you know, if you spend a rainy day with a light bright, that's bored. You know, it's like, why doesn't somebody kill me? I'd rather be in school. Um, and so these are the punchlines. So, you know, but you got to get down to what's funny. So, you know, just literally as few words as possible. And comedy is about exaggeration. So, you know, you again, it's, 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 I wish it was one thing, you know, like I will tell you one thing that comes from uh, the English language, uh, which Again, I'm sure I'm butchering and, and people listen to me speak in England and go, oh, my goodness. But uh, is words that end in the letter K are funnier because it goes back to Anglo-Saxon, you know, the, you know, the, the, when they created the language. So yes. words that which is why dirty words, you know, that end in K are also funny. Yeah. Um, social taboos, you know, being able to, which is why, you know, a comedian that curses on stage, why it's such a, 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 a you know, um, uh, uh, the crutch to lean on is because people will laugh when somebody is cursing in a public situation because it's a social taboo that that uh, we're not usually allowed to do, but this one person is allowed to do. So even if he's just up there cursing a lot, now it's a law of diminishing returns. It will not continue. You know, the longer you curse up there, all they will hear are the bad words and not uh, the, the words that you want them to hear. But, you know, so there's a, 
But I always say look for something that you all have in common and try to connect the story that you have to that. And then the real comedy comes in in exaggerating and choosing the right words. So the other day I was writing a joke for a, for a, for a, for a guy who's getting ready to present to a bunch of insurance guys. And uh, the guy that went on before him had, and that's always, always look for the opportunities. That's really what my teachings are, is that, that I'll make you aware of the opportunities. So the guy before him had gone on, him and his brother, and they had written four books together. New York Times best-selling books. A guy named Dan Heath, you may actually understand him. Him and his brother, Chip Heath, wrote four books on the New York Times bestseller. The guy's going to speak after him, and he's like, I, I can't believe this. these guys wrote four books together. I have a brother. I'm not even sure I can write a pamphlet with my brother. Um, but coming up with pamphlet was the right word. You know, it's a funny word. But, you know, we you could just say, you know, I can't believe that these two guys wrote the four books together. I couldn't write a book with my brother. Not as funny as pamphlet. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's really not just one thing. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a bunch of things. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing you want to do is... Take it from your real life. You know, your your, your truth is, is, is going to be more impactful than just something you make up, you know. Um, so even if it and remember, the expectation level in a comedy club is they walk in, make me laugh. So I'm doing it as a higher level. You're just sprinkling it in. They weren't even expecting you to bring them any humor. So even if it's just an amusing story, that could be enough. Yes. Um, and, you know, so. Yeah, brilliant. So, so obviously, I'm picking up. You teach people humor. Is that other comedies, or did you do it in a corporate setting now? Uh, now in the corporate setting, I've taught over a thousand people. Um, you know, stand up comedy, where the actual application was stand up comedy, and it was great. And then, then I started off uh, teaching at the Smithsonian Institute. You know, it was weird because uh, once I realized I could teach it, you know. People would come to me just organically and uh, say, listen, would you coach me one-on-one? -on -one? And it turned out all those people, the coaching people, didn't want to be comedians. They, they were, One guy ran for mayor of Washington, D.C. Another guy, uh, you know, was a hedge fund guy that was going to have to go out and speak to get investors. And, you know, another one was a pilot, you know. I mean, he just, uh, you know, there were a lot of different people who wanted to know what I know and be able to apply it to the business world. But... That led me into teaching, you know, just the masses at a comedy club uh, for about five years. I taught uh, 24 people a month um, how to do this. And at the end, they all had to do a graduation show. So I had to kind of prepare them for that. But in having to work with them at that level where the goal was stand up, I developed amazing teaching skills. So now when I shifted my business, and, and, and I don't want to teach uh, stand-up comedians anymore, but I do want to empower business people uh, with the same skills. So now I've shifted the whole business to only corporate training, you know, leadership training, uh, public, you know, communication training, and then humor. And also the time is right, you know, now. Uh, I, you know, even just from a marketing standpoint, I mean, we found each other on LinkedIn. You know, eight years ago, LinkedIn didn't even exist. You know, I couldn't even do this before. It became too hard to educate the market and 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 and, and create my offerings. But now it, it's, it's turned into coaching, to training, uh, customer service. I'm working on a, a program right now on how to use humor to diffuse negative situations on the phone for customer service uh, people at Zappos. So, you know, um, you know, people are embracing this. And, and, and uh, so now it, and it's also helped in marketing, too. You know, uh, a lot of my work with a lot of entrepreneurs 
who are building e-commerce, uh, you know, sales funnels and landing pages and different things. And, and think about the headline to your sales ad. It's only 12 words. If you, if each one of those words is so important to motivate people to action. So even just helping them, you know, use the science of comedy and to just, you know, make enhance and elevate, you know, the ads and the webinars and, 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 and then that part of the business as well, uh, it's become really, really exciting. But yes, I used to teach people how to, how to, how to do this and, and, and it just, it's going, you go, you go through so much. I mean, to take someone and be able to get them to be able to perform. It's like walking over hot coals. You know, it's such an amazing thing to get somebody to walk over hot coals. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's more power here. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, the time is right to really create bigger programs here where, you know, I have another program where I teach salespeople how to treat the sales opportunity as a performance. So what I do before, during, and after a set absolutely apply. And, and this, is, this is something that people have to understand is that today you're not a salesman. You're playing the part of a salesman. The audience is bringing a set of expectations, you know, the people that you're in front of, because, and then they may come from TV or movies or whatever their idea of a salesman is. You have to meet that or exceed that even to just have a chance. So it really is a performance. But, you know, I, I, you know, I work with a lot of hotels here in Las Vegas. Same thing with the front desk people. You know, you're not a front desk agent. You're playing the part of the front desk agent at Caesars Palace. Just, you know, immerse yourself in that role. It also makes going to work more fun. I mean, a lot and a lot of companies are, are embracing this. Uh, you know, they, they call their employees co-stars. You know, they call, you know, the, the, the property a, a stage, you know, a set. So, you know, it, it's all happening at the right time. So I'm getting pulled out of comedy and out of the ticket selling business when, you know, really Netflix has changed the way people can. In 20 years, I don't even know if people will be going to comedy clubs in the UK because, once comedy gets watered down so much, uh, the idea of spending $100 to go watch, you know, three comedians where one might be good and the other two are not going to be good and, you know, also not good because they're not paying them and, you know, a bunch of... The model is so broken that, you know, I, I pivoted because, you know... And also they blew up my casino here in Las Vegas, not to put up another attraction, but to put up more convention space. Uh, Las Vegas, my dream place... Had, has really become a, a corporate convention town. People come here for work now. Yeah. And on the weekends, it becomes a nightclub town. But, you know, Vegas has changed. And, and I just, instead of fighting it and, 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 and cursing the darkness, you know, I, I lit a bunch of candles, you know. But the good thing about this is that whatever situation's out there, the, the ability to see the funny side of it and to therefore be healthy as a result of that is going to be a good thing. So, so Matt, how can people get hold of you? Uh, my website, uh, the new company is uh, They Laugh You Win, and uh, you know we do everything from corporate training to helping you with your marketing, and uh, uh, you know really coming up with the right. And that's another thing. A lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, everyone is launching something, you know. And, and and what I love about working with entrepreneurs is they've all mastered something, either the consulting business or management or um, you know media training, whatever it is that they that they're offering, or they wrote a book on how to, you know, as I'm sure you've written many books. But when you go out there to do it. If you're a first timer, you know, why should you be great at public speaking or working at a trade show or, or you know, any, you know, I give them the, the training from my 6,000 performances, 28 years, um, and then also use humor in there when a lot of them never even thought, you know, or the power of that. So, you know, it, it, we work with corporations, we work with entrepreneurs, 
Um, uh, and then, um, you know, also in, in different ways in, in training the people, I basically have three models. One, I can teach you how to do it and you can do it yourself. We can work together and do it together. Um, or I can just do it for you. And, uh, but the people go to, they laugh, you win. Uh, and it's, you know, just check it out. If you have any questions about anything we talked about today, I'm so happy to share what I know. If nothing else, you know, hopefully my, my passion for this and my excitement for this has come through because it's really, really exciting because most people think Humor can only be used by the few, and it, it is not the case at all. It's absolutely something you can learn, you can get better at, and uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna show you all the shortcuts. Something that took me 28 years to learn will you know, take you uh, less than 28 days. Yes, yeah, one, one of the trials of teaching, isn't it? Or training yeah. that, that you have so much. It takes you such a long time to get this, and, it's, and you have to transmit it very, very quickly for people. But, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what we love doing, isn't it? All that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Matt, you've been a force of nature today. It's been a real joy listening to you. And I've written, as, as often with these podcasts, lots and lots of notes, um, some of which I'm sure our audience are going to appreciate. But actually, I've picked up a load of stuff as well for myself and my own work and such like. So I really appreciate your time. It's been a real joy to talk to you. And maybe in the future we can do this again sometime and actually really get absolutely of some of these things. Absolutely. And, and we have really, you know, we only had this amount of time. And uh, uh, there are so many tips, you know, memorization techniques. And I will leave because I want to give you, your listeners something of value. One big thing that people worry about when they get on stage, uh, I mean, there's a hundred things they worry about. Everybody's looking at me, da, da, da. A couple things real quick. Audience doesn't know how scared you are. 90% of what you're feeling, the audience has no idea. And like I said before, don't tell them. They're already afraid for you. Why do you use the tools of a stand-up comedian? Is because I can get them on my side even before I get to the microphone. So, um, but understand that don't tell them that you're scared. You know, I talk about being afraid versus being scared and, and scared is anxiety and a comfortability issue. But memorization, big thing people go, I'm not going to remember uh, when I get up there, my, my speech or my presentation or my stand-up comedy set. And it's true because we don't use the memory tracks of our brain. Handwriting is one of the most powerful memory tracks we have. Um, write things down. You know, I mean, if you want to remember them, write things down. There's studies uh, where they, they gave a, a, a class to a to college students, some were using electronic devices to, to take notes, the other ones actually took notes. 80% of what they remembered, the people who wrote the handwritten notes did 80% better on the test. Um, record it onto a recorder and listen to it before you go to sleep. There's studies that show that we can learn when we go to sleep. Reason why these late night chat shows um, they only have a million people watching, but advertisers are clamoring to get to them because it's the last access they have to your brain before you go to sleep. And things that you study right before you go to sleep just get burned into the mental hard drive. Um, go for a walk. When you're walking, it releases endorphins that help the brain remember stuff. So walk and talk and dramatize. But in the program, you know, we, we, have, we talk about how to remember people's names and, and, and things like that. So there really is no stone I've left unturned. And uh, uh, it definitely warrants another conversation for sure, Russell. Especially about remembering names, because that is one of my biggest. I mean, I, oft, I shouldn't really say this out loud, but I have forgotten my kids' names from time to time. So you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, yeah, some yeah. people, it's just become a, a real blocker. Matt, it's been marvelous today. Thank you so much for giving of your so generously of your time and such like. It's been a fantastic episode. Thank you, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch again. And let's um, let's let's arrange a, a second round at some stage. Absolutely. You thank take you care. so much. Be thank well. you. Take care, man. Thanks for listening today. I hope we really got some value from that. I certainly enjoyed it myself. 
Remember, there's only other podcasts and with tools and techniques, different speakers and different resources available in the series of Resilience Unraveled, so please feel free to subscribe. Why not also drop across to Facebook and join our group, Resilience Unraveled, and join in the conversation. Also, if you wanted to whip over to iTunes and drop us a review, that would be fantastic. Thanks ever so much. You can get hold of us at qedod.com or at personalresilience.com, where you can get hold of free ebooks, resources, some online courses, and even some coaching. But whatever happens, I look forward for you joining us on the next edition of Resilience Unraveled. Thank you.